Welcome to the Southwest Londoners podcast on the greatest sport in the world. Kick back, relax, and listen as we chat non-stop about the Six Nations. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for a hot take from Tom Masters. Maro Itoje to be dropped. Island fans, you're not as bad as you thought you were. You beat Italy. And Italy were really bad. Welcome to a Pocket Rocket special of the Southwest Londoners Six Nations podcast. Only two games to talk about this week after the France game was cooled off for some COVID violations. So we're going to talk about Wales, England and Ireland, Italy in the company of only two guests. How are you doing, Tom Masters? I'm OK, thanks, Chris. Lovely to be here again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, mate. And uh, Louis Pichon, no game for you this weekend. How are you doing? That was good. I had a, a quieter Sunday than I was expecting. A nice weekend off never goes amiss. Of course, only two guests, but as always, we will have stats from the chief statistician himself, SP Sapper. He's not here with us in person, but he's coming from some other plane of existence to drop stats here, there, and everywhere throughout the pod. Anyway, on to proceedings. It's a sin. England 24. Apparently, England, who uh, I tipped as favourites to win the tournament, are actually really bad at rugby. Let's kick things off by talking about Wales. I think it's only fair before we start ranting about Eddie Jones's side. Who shone for you, Louis? Uh, I, I'm sort of uh, loath to say it because I didn't really like the decision, but George North at 13 has actually worked uh, this tournament. It never worked before. It always felt like a stupid decision especially with Jonathan Davis in the side. Not necessarily wasted at 12, but it's certainly not his optimum position. But George North had a great game. 10 tackles. Every carry, it felt like he was looking to hit weak shoulders or head for the space rather than directly at a player. It felt like he was always making some extra yardage out of his carries. Uh, All around, I was quite impressed with him. And otherwise, I thought Josh Navidi in the back row did his usual job. You know, plenty of tackles made himself a bit of a nuisance. I thought he did a really good job as well. But generally, I think Wales can be quite happy with their performance. Do you agree with that, Tom? Yeah, I think uh, the other name that I was going to bring up was Tolupe Falatar. I know he got man of the match. It's a bit of a boring answer to give, but I did think he was brilliant. I thought his work rate was fantastic and he was everywhere and ball carrying as usual at its like very high level. So, yeah, I mean, Wales were very good. That's That's for sure. I mean, Wales were very good. Obviously, they had a couple of decisions go their way which we will come on to in a sec but how good are this Wales side can they threaten France are they that good I think they're good but I think it's fair to say they've ridden their luck to get this far in the tournament without losing their attack looks pretty good you know they've been scoring points like we can't really take that away from them they've, they've looked good but all around the rest of their game doesn't look up to the standards necessary to win the tournament but 
to this point, it hasn't really mattered. So there's a chance they'll, you know, take it all the way. But with France up, that's going to be a huge test. Although, as we may find out later, France might not be as strong a proposition as they were a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I think Wales... I think Wales are favourites, actually. I'm going to go out there and say they'll probably win it. They've got the three wins against the the three big home nations. And if they can sneak a bonus point maybe against France and they have a pretty strong chance, a bonus point as in a losing bonus point if they don't necessarily win, they can still win the tournament if France slip up in Scotland. There was a wonderful pregnant pause in that answer, which I appreciated hugely. Um, I mean, with like Wales's history in this tournament, you can't rule them out for the title now, can you, Tom? They, they have a history of... Um, finding a way of winning. I think that's a polite way of kind of putting it. Yep, 2005, 2008, 2012, to say the least, uh, were very similar to this in terms of the pre-tournament circumstances and then some of the games as well. I think, as you say, perhaps a nice way of saying it, finding a way to win. Um, but they're here now. They've won the Triple Crown. They've got Italy next, which ever, I mean, if they don't beat, win that, they don't deserve to win the tournament. So we expect them to win that probably with another bonus point. Heading to Paris uh, for what will be a, a potential Grand Slam decider for possibly, oh, sorry, for possibly, oh, sorry, possibly, oh, sorry, possibly both teams. Um, although the France Scotland game will probably be a week after, which slightly ruins that game in a way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say Wales are the, are the favourites at the moment. And well, who would have thought that before the tournament? Tom, are you bitter? Uh, no comment. Okay. Well, I mean, let's talk about England so you can actually let off some steam, have a little rant, you know, just kind of recalibrate the senses. You thought the ref was awful, yeah? Yeah. I think yeah. that's it. Unanimous, is it not? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it was great. What do you, I mean, what, what decisions in particular? <laughs> uh, well, I think the first two tries yeah. will go into that in particular. I think, for me, the first one, uh, it's just that he... It would have been fine had he not told Farrell to go and speak to his players and then turn the time off. So Farrell's then called all his players in, they're all under the posts. And then Dan Bigger says, can I play? And he suddenly goes, yeah, okay, time on. And then obviously they get to the corner and score. I don't know, to me, that's quite poor refereeing. I think you can't do that. Um, and the second one for me, just I just didn't understand that. That wasn't a knock-on. I don't know, maybe I'm looking at this through English glasses, but I honestly could not understand that wasn't a knock-on he's dropped the ball he's lost control of the ball it seemed to go forward but uh, apparently he sort of deliberately scorpion kicked it forward for a perfectly legitimate try so I don't know uh, after that I don't think there was too much wrong I think England's discipline which I think we're probably about to talk about was was a killer towards the end of the game but those two tries were were uh, controversial to say the least I'm going to throw out a little bit of a case against, well, four, I guess, four, I suppose, that first try. It, just in that, I know England have a strong case to be aggrieved about that being given, but at the same time, he gives Farrell, I think I counted, 20-ish seconds to talk to his team before Bigger says, can you tell us uh, when time's back on? The problem is, he then, once he does say time on, he basically immediately lets Bigger uh, uh, kick for the corner. And generally, a referee would give a team a chance to set up. But at the same time, England had switched off as well. And we've seen before in the 2019 uh, warm-up games for the World Cup, Wales did 
not exactly the same thing, but they took a penalty quickly when no one was expecting them to and created a try from it. Dan Bigger was heavily involved in that one as well. And also uh, Pascal Gauzel was the referee. So it's not like it was out of the realm of possibility that something like this could happen. I'm not saying it's right that it was a try, but in a world where teams are watching all kinds of film and preparing for everything, there's a strong case that England should have been ready. The second one, I understand that there's sort of a loop, almost a loophole in the rules where this can be given as not a knock-on. But at the same time, if that was anywhere else on the pitch, the referee would have given it a knock-on. So the case is pretty clear there. With the second one, I genuinely couldn't believe that they even went upstairs to look at it at the time. I was just thought it's a knock-on. I think it might uh, lead to a rule change to sort of get rid of the, the accidental kick. If it goes forward and then it touches another part of your body and goes backwards, that's not accounted for in the rules. So that may change after the tournament. I mean, you could see on Lurie Summit's face immediately after he sort of looked up, ah, oh, damn, you know, I've knocked it on. And then when it kind of got given, he sort of gave a very confused look. <laughs> so, I mean, if that doesn't tell you the story, then I don't know what will. But, you know, I, we can't complain. That wasn't the only reason England lost. You know what? I wonder why Elsingen lost. It clearly wasn't just a poor referee. We've been bad all tournament. If only I had a man with me who could give me some stats and really set me straight. But wait, I do. Salutations from Sapper's Corner. Sapper's Corner. Some amount of factual evidence, reason, and numbers. I love Sapper's Corner. Welcome. 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 Sapper's Corner. Thanks, Chris. So we've highlighted England's ill-discipline and what do you know the stats do back it up. England gave away 14 penalties, which is five more than Wales. Possession and territory were fairly even, but Wales used it more efficiently, with four points per visit to the opposition's 22 to England's three. The standout performers in defence for Wales were Josh Navidi and Fela Tau, with 15 and 14 tackles respectively while Kieran Hardy broke two tackles and made 75 metres to add to his try. So definitely an impressive performance from Wales and not just a disappointing one from England. England were led by Tom Curry's 18 tackles and Billy Vunipola looked to be improving as he broke three tackles in his best performance so far this year. So it wasn't all bad news for England. There were some positives. Back to you, Chris. We have a group chat that was going whilst this game was uh, going on. And let me tell you, the takes were so fiery, we might as well have been in Mordor. According to Tom Masters, Itoje should be dropped for the next game on account of his poor discipline. Explain that, Tom. Or was that just a fit of rage in the moment? It's a hot take, I'll give you that. But it was, uh, I think I said, if Laws and Launchbury were fit, then I would drop Itoje based on his discipline at this tournament because it is killing us. Uh, against Scotland, it was frustrating, but against Wales, it, it killed us. Every time we sort of got into a position where we put a bit of pressure on Wales, he'd then give him a penalty in an easy way out. Not just him, he wasn't the only one, but I think he gave away eight penalties, which is an absolutely ridiculous amount uh, to give away I, in a I game. saw five, but... It, it was five at one point, but I think it then went up. Oh, by the end of the game. Yeah, so... Uh, I. You know, I think that was a, a costly thing. I Obviously, Maratoja is a wonderful player. And as I've said, it's just when he first came onto the scene, that was something he did. He gave away penalties. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, he's a young, excited uh, 
kid I suppose at the time he was and you kind of just let him get away with it and hope that by the time he'd mature that would come out of his game and he's now nearly 50 capped international and he's and it's still happening it's quite frustrating so I don't really know if it's kind of his game that he plays to the edge and now referees are really picking him up on it or if it's just I don't know I don't know what it is but it's it's frustrating what does this result mean for Eddie Jones's future? I think the selection he has probably got wrong and it's he's a very stubborn man. He'll never admit that until it's too late, as we saw in his autobiography. So I think they probably will be looking uh, into potentially replacing him. But we've seen this with England before. They had a terrible Six Nations uh, and then a year later they were in the World Cup final. So who knows? Louis, do you think we'd be fools to sack Eddie Jones, considering in the last year we've won the Six Nations and the inaugural Nations Cup? It's tough to say. I think there's definitely signs that he maybe isn't adapting or progressing much. But they still, I mean, especially up until the end of last year, they were still winning, so there was no question about it. And now that they're not necessarily winning, then the questions will start to arise. I can see a hypothetical scenario where Maybe England win out the rest of the tournament and, you know, salvage salvage it and he looks okay. Or say they lose to France and they've come third or fourth. There's probably going to be some meeting at the RFU where the, the uh, committee above Eddie says, maybe you should think about changing some of these older players who played a lot, haven't been totally on form. And he might say, yeah, I understand. I'm going to have to get some new blood and we'll shake some things up. Or he says, no. These guys got me to a World Cup final. I'm sticking with them. And then maybe he stays, maybe he goes. I think most likely he's going to be with England for at least another year. But depends on how the rest of the tournament goes. I, I, I just, it's the selection. So I know I keep banging on about it, but it's, there's just so many good young players out there that are just being ignored. And it's frustrating. But, you know, he's got us took us from a pretty low point in the 2015 World Cup to winning the Grand Slam a year later, then winning it again, and then getting to a World Cup final. So, you know, we can't deny his methods before, but I guess in a way it's kind of like Jose Mourinho in football, a similar kind of thing where you kind of question them now, are they still at the top or or have, as Louis said, has this sort of, is he struggling to adapt to to the modern game? Mm. Um, but you know if, if England win their next two games if they beat France and they beat Ireland in Dublin then then that's a, a positive way to end if they lose both of those games I, I think I'd be surprised if uh, there isn't a big change somewhere whether that is as Lewis said someone tells Jones you need to stop selecting certain players or start you know changing things or whether it's just Jones goes I don't know we'll see one two three the sheriff that The sheriff that is Ken Owens. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. The sheriff that He thinks it's not kosher. Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. Seriously, Ken, I wanted it kosher. Island 48, Italy 10. We are all shocked by this result. <laughs> Uh, Thomas isn't here to defend his valiant Italians. I guess the first thing we can say is, did we learn anything new about this Irish side? I'm going to say no. I'm going to be kind of harsh because I think this was Italy's worst performance this year by far. They really didn't look good. And Ireland's never seemed to, they never seemed stretch at all. You felt like France and England, at least at some points, had to work quite hard for their points. And it felt you know, like a legitimate Six Nations 
game, but Italy really weren't at the races on Saturday, and I feel it would be uh, wrong to draw too many conclusions about where Ireland are going based off that, which is a shame because we all said before the game that this could be really good and we could see plenty from both sides that could tell us a lot, but I don't think we have really. I guess what, what could you expect from Ireland though? You know, like that you can only play what's in front of you, I guess. So you kind of got to give them some praise. Yeah, I think we can say they, you know, they did the job that they needed to. But I think in terms of predicting their results going forward, I don't think it particularly helps. Yeah. I think it would be good for the players to have put in that performance and they'll feel better. But is that going to help them in the last two games? I don't think so. Was there another controversial refing performance in this game, Tom? Uh, yeah, it was only really one one moment and it arguably wasn't really the referee. It was more the, the TMO, which I believe was Roman Poit. So the, the French officiating teams going very popular in European rugby this weekend. There, it appeared that Ian Henderson had scored a perfectly legitimate try, which at the time, uh, Mr. Mathieu Reynal, the referee, had called a knock-on, which was fair enough. He wasn't in a place to see it. Uh, but then for some reason... They didn't look at it when Repos clearly showed he'd, he'd grounded the ball. So that was a bit odd, to be honest. That was midway through the first half. Uh, the game wasn't, it wasn't that much of a lead for Ireland. It didn't matter. They were always going to win, but it just seemed a strange decision. But I don't think that was a massive talking point in that game, to be honest. Um, it also felt very strange that they were made to both speak to each other in English. Mm. The two French refs probably could have easily communicated in French, but because no, I'm assuming because it was on TV, they had to talk in English, and that that sort of added to the confusion. I felt a little bit. Do you know what? Those French referees weren't the only people that were confused. I wish someone would give me a short statistical breakdown of the game in a concise and palatable way. If only there was someone out there who could do that. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sapper's Corner. Thanks a lot, Chris. So let's see what the stats were saying for what was, unfortunately, another disappointing performance for Italy. So Ireland made that leaky Italian defence pay, and the back three combined to break 12 tackles, with Will Connors maybe having his best day ever in the green shirt, and he had two tries and 14 tackles to back that up. We've talked about Italy a lot, and they did miss 26 tackles. That really hurt their chances to compete, and four scrum penalties are really not a sign of progress for them. But if we look on the positive side, as we are always inclined to do on this podcast, for Italy, Monte Iwani continued his good four by breaking four tackles, and Lamar's 18 tackles and just one missed tackle is huge for his uh, for the 22-year-old number eight. Back to you, Chris. Ireland came into this tournament after an underwhelming 2020. They're a team in transition. Can they take any positives based on their performance at this tournament thus far? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. But they do need to probably win at least one of their last two games for that to sort of... If I think if they lose their next two games and they've only beaten Italy, then that's an unsuccessful tournament, no matter how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, their first two defeats, they were narrow defeats. Um, the one thing I think as well, they made a couple of... Well, they made a big mistake in the Wales game, obviously, at the end. So that could have turned out differently. The red card didn't help them in that game, obviously. And then against France, in the end, they were just beaten by a bit of quality. So it was good for them here. I think that will help them a lot, get them some confidence going forward. Um, and they've got uh, Scotland and England left. So 
there definitely are two teams that they could beat. Mm. Um, and as I say, I think if they get one win from two and they still play quite well in both games, then I'd say it's a decent tournament for them in terms of, sort of gaining momentum and confidence. I think they've managed to refill some positions that maybe weren't uh, certain before the tournament or not, not especially last year. Hugo Keenan and James Lowe have really settled themselves in in the back three, which is quite useful. And then Gary Ringrose has just gone from strength to strength. He was already you know, a well-respected centre, but he's one of the few Irish players who's advanced his case for uh, the Lions tour, if that goes ahead, obviously. And I think they, we've seen plenty of options in that pack, which may not be entirely settled, but I think the line-out is, their line-out is the best in the tournament and they can take that on through the rest of, uh, through the rest of their games and for the rest of the year. They, you know, they can have that as a, a staple of their forward pack, but otherwise there's just a lot to work on. I mean, that's definitely a positive because uh, their set-pieces and their line-outs in the Nations Cup were not good. Um, before we move on to the next section, I am going to ask both of you to dig deep into your core and give me one positive that you can say about Italy off the back of this performance. It's hard. It's going to be hard, but you're going to have to do it. Tom, you look in pain, so I'm going to go to Louis first. Can you think of anything from this game we can look at as a positive? I think I'm going to throw out Johan Meyer, who played uh, seven for Italy on Saturday. I thought he had a pretty good game, broke some tackles, made plenty of tackles. And uh, though if they... If they had a full strength side, he'd probably be fourth or fifth choice. I think he's, uh, I think he's prevented, presented himself as a strong option, uh, probably off the bench on when Italy are at their uh, at their best. Tom, well, on my, on my list here, I've got outplayed, outclassed, outmuscled, discipline. Uh, so <laughs> those are all obviously negatives. Uh, I will say I thought. For the most part, Monte Iwani is, is, I mean, he's been a positive for them all tournament. But I thought, again, when he carries the ball, he does actually have some threat. He usually gets over the gain line, um, which is something that they've really missed at this tournament without Jake Pelledri. I think he's usually the man that gets them over the gain line. So um, I'll say, again, his performance, it's hard for him in a 48-10 defeat to sort of stand out. But I think, yeah, probably him. Oh, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. Let's get ready. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Before we conclude the review podcast of the Six Nations, we're going to do our Player of the Week and flop of the week as I said only two people on the panel to go through this week but we'll start with Tom Masters who was your player of the week Tom? Uh, I have gone for CJ Stander uh, I thought he was excellent against Italy he scored once he scored twice and then had the second one disallowed uh, but his just general ability to get over the game line put Ireland front football he was part of the pack that completely dominated Italy uh, and I thought it was brilliant definitely uh, going to that Lions tour in my opinion uh, and then my flop of the week, uh, you won't be surprised to hear this based on the podcast so far, is Mara Toje, uh, who uh, did not help uh, England's cause at all on Saturday afternoon. And uh, it's highly unlikely he will be dropped. So in two weeks' time, I'm sure we'll see a very fired up Mara and he'll, uh, I'll be eating some humble pie. 
I look forward to it. Uh, Louis, your player of the week and your flop of the week. I know the flop's going to be a big one. Go for it. My uh, player of the week is uh, Kieran Hardy from Wales. He wasn't expected to start. Came in, had a really good performance. Created a try all by himself. And uh, I thought his box kicking was especially good, considering that was maybe a weakness for Wales in their first two games. And my flop of the week is the president of the French Rugby Federation, Bernard Laporte, who uh, it was revealed in L'Equipe on Sunday in a bit of an expose, essentially threatened his squad if they uh, revealed that Galtier had uh, broken the uh, COVID bubble. He said that I'm taking Galtier all the way to the World Cup and uh, I'll fire you if you squeal, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He didn't uh, say it like that. But it was very... uh, it was very Don Corleone of him. Uh, the players are quite seem quite concerned, according to this article. They're a bit worried that this is all going to fall apart. They, I'm not sure if there's a huge amount of trust in Gautier and the Federation seem to have stuck behind him. And uh, there was one quote which I quite liked, was that the French uh, COVID protocols were not a bubble, but a sieve. Uh, and it's a miracle that they didn't have a... Uh, a breach in the autumn as well. The players don't seem particularly confident that that was strong either. So it looks like the French uh, administration is in a bit of shambles and they've put a lot of people at risk. It's not looking good. The players may not stick by their coach now. We'll see. We've had several anonymous quotes from players who seem really sort of, seem like they've lost a lot of confidence in uh, the project that they're trying to build at the moment. So... Uh, I'm not saying this is the end of the Galtier project, but it's really not looking good. If Bernard Laporte is Don Corleone, is Galtier's uh, Michael or is he Sonny about to get whacked? He's definitely Sonny. He's uh, <laughs> been very verbally violent in the past, not necessarily physically violent, but uh, he does have a bit of a history. Uh, well, then I guess France need to just look for their Michael then. I guess that'll be it for this week. Uh, Another wonderful week of rugby. And thank you so much, Tom Masters, for being here, despite uh, England having lost once more. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Louis, for for being here and giving us that uh, wonderful uh, assessment of how horrible the France camp is at the moment. Yeah, French rugby Twitter was not happy today. Yeah, I can imagine it was wonderful to go through. Um, and also, even though he's not with us in the room, thank you, Sapper, as always, for delivering your stats so wonderfully. I'm in Chris Byfield. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you. Rugby is such a good sport, and so are you for listening. Please join us again next week when I reckon we'll probably be still talking about the Six Nations. Please come back. That would be.